Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. St. Augustine is often talked about as a Christian philosopher, indeed a very important and central Christian philosopher. So when we're thinking about his work, the Confessions, one of the things that we do want to be attentive to is the interconnection and the comparisons between philosophy or philosophies and Christianity. And we do have to say a few things right off the start. Augustine, at the beginning of his life and for a long time, doesn't really understand Christianity. He half understands some things, gets other things wrong, mistakes the the notion of God. He's got mistaken ideas about Jesus for a while. And he, he tells us all about this in various chapters of the Confessions. He also, you know, gets to learn philosophy along the way. So it's not as if Augustine is simply confronting us with Christianity, capital C, ready-made, entirely put together, and philosophy, as if there was some sort of generic philosophy that included every single thing that we call philosophy, and then putting them side by side like that. No, it's it's taking place in the course of a life. It's in a, a situated way. And we can ask ourselves something really important. What philosophy does Augustine actually know? And, you know, if we read, not even between the lines, but just pay attention to what's being said in the text of the Confessions, we'll come to see that he actually has had a pretty good background in philosophy. You know, for example, we know that Cicero's Hortensius is the the book that gets him oriented towards philosophy and towards wisdom in general. It arouses this desire within him. And he's read other of Cicero's works as well. We know this in part because when he's criticizing Faustus, he actually says, this guy has only read a little bit of Cicero and also a little bit of Seneca. We know from Augustine's other works that he knows the Stoics, right? Seneca is one of the key Stoics. Seneca is writing in Latin, so is Cicero. And so Augustine has access to these books and to their doctrines and thinkers. So, you know, Cicero, who's an eclectic, Seneca, Aristotle, you know, he references Aristotle's categories and he says, okay, nice book. What does it actually do for helping me understand, say, God or anything like that? It's not particularly helpful. And we can assume that Augustine is running across other of Aristotle's ideas, not least through getting them through Seneca and Cicero, who reference Aristotle at various points in their works. Cicero is actually a huge fan of Aristotle, right? Particularly in Augustine's own discipline of rhetoric. So he knows Aristotle. He talks at one point about the Epicureans and he says, I'd probably be attracted to being an Epicurean if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, the Epicureans think that we don't go anywhere after we die. So, you know, that's an important thing. He does know their doctrines. He's probably read some Epicurean texts that we don't actually have access to since there's so little. 
He references the academics at a number of different points. The academics were the Platonists when the Platonic Academy had become a hotbed of skepticism, academic skepticism we, we talk about. And Augustine says, well, you know, they get some things right and other things they don't. The philosophers that he probably feels the greatest affinity with, and he's not unusual among early Christian philosophers in this, are what he calls the Platonists. And he, you know, actually tells us about reading the translations of the Platonists that are provided by this Latin author. And that's, you know, quite important. Is he reading Plato himself? Eh, we don't really know. You're also going to get a lot of Plato through Cicero and Seneca and other writers, but he's also probably reading Plotinus and other Platonists as well through this. And those are the ones that we're probably going to draw the most interesting comparisons to, right? So that's quite important there. And we also have a discussion when he's referencing Manny, the founder of Manichaeism, he tells us that there are these philosophers, and this might include astronomers, mathematicians, you know, it's not as if you only did philosophy and you didn't do any other disciplines. It might have included people with medical knowledge. And he said that there were these philosophers who had accounts of the natural world that were actually on point. You know, they could predict eclipses. They could make sense out of natural phenomena. And Manny wasn't able to do that. So we know that he's got it pretty significant background in philosophy. We also know that Augustine is, like many people in ancient times, not just reading these philosophers, but trying to live in accordance with them. He's experimentally trying philosophies out in the course of his life. So that's quite important. Now, early on, again, going back to the Hortensius and also other parts of the book, from book three onward, philosophy is going to get compared to other ways of attaining wisdom. Philosophy is about attaining wisdom. And, you know, when it comes to Manichaeism, Augustine says philosophy turns out to be, or the philosophers turn out to be more plausible and accurate than all these fables and ramblings of the Manichaean literature. You know, Augustine actually meets with somebody who's supposed to explain it, the Bishop Faustus, who isn't able to explain it. And Manichaeism kind of loses its, its attractiveness from that point on. Early on, philosophy seems way better than the Christian scriptures. Why would that be the case? Well, you know, the Christian scriptures, like Augustine points out, are written in ways that are kind of murky and mysterious on the one hand, but they also appear to be written at a, we could say, lower grade level than philosophy, right? They're written for ordinary people to be able to make sense of. And that, you know, lowers them in some respect in Augustine's view. Philosophy is higher up, but this is going to change over time. Another key aspect that's sort of arguing for philosophy for Augustine, you know, some philosophy does seem to get matters right. Like he said, Epicureans, you know, they're onto something. They just, they've got these mistaken beliefs about life and death and, you know, the afterworld and the gods. And so it can't really entertain them. I mean, Aristotle's categories aren't completely useless, even if they can't tell us about God. You know, a lot of the things that the Stoics or Cicero or the Platonists have to say, pretty good stuff. So, why then would we want Christianity? 
Why would we be attracted to something beyond Greek philosophy? What's philosophy missing, we can say? Or to frame it another way, less negative way, what does Christianity provide or offer or reveal that we're not going to get out of philosophy? And here we can look at a few passages. So in book seven, chapter nine, right? We have this interesting back and forth comparison between what scriptures tell us and what pagan philosophy, specifically Platonism, is going to tell us as well. So we have a similarity here in that they both talk about the word, the logos, right? The gospel of John and lots of different uh, modes of philosophy. We'll, We'll talk about that. So he says, By means of a certain man puffed up with most unnatural pride, you procured for me certain books of the Platonists that have been translated out of Greek into Latin. In them I read, not indeed in these words, but very much the same thought enforced by various arguments that, and here he quotes the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made. What was made in him is life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Pretty good, right? I read that the soul of man, though it gives testimony of the light, is not itself the light, but the word God himself is the true light. So, you know, overlaps there. So what is Christianity contributing? He goes on, he says, but that he came into his own and his own did not receive him, but as many received him to them, he gave power to be made the sons of God. That I didn't read in these books. I'm not getting that from philosophy. Again, I read that the word God was born not of the flesh, nor of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. So that's an overlap. But I did not read there that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, right? So there's all these things that he's going to bring up, including, here's some examples, that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of man, and in habit found as man, that he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. These are not in the works of the Platonists. As a matter of fact, if the Platonists hear about this sort of thing, they're going to be like, that's a terrible God. (laughs) We don't want to worship anything like that. So there's quite a a few other things where there's more to Christianity and more to the Christian ideas than are going to be found in Platonism. And Platonism is sort of the best philosophy, right? A little bit later in that same chapter, he says, you know, I had this kind of mistaken idea about Christ only being a man of surpassing wisdom who no other man could equal, right? But Christianity is teaching us that, in fact, Christ is the Son and God incarnate. So these are some really important points. He also says at that time, after reading these books of the Platonist and being instructed in them to search for incorporeal truth, I clearly saw your invisible things, which are understood by the things that are made. That's a reference to Paul's writings, right? Something that is often viewed as a sort of argument for the existence of God, looking at the things that are made to going to a maker. And he says, although pushed backwards by my search, I perceived what that was, which because of my mind's darkness, I was not permitted to contemplate. I was made certain you exist, you're infinite, though not diffused through space, either finite or infinite, that you're truly he who is always the same. And he goes on and on. Um, He says, of these truths, I was most certain, but I was too weak to find my joy in you. And so this is going to come through studying scripture. 
The scriptures, as he's going to tell us later, they have a deeper and richer meaning when they're interpreted properly, interpreted perhaps in an allegorical manner or a spiritual manner, not just as what they're literally saying. So this is uh, something very important for Augustine. He recognizes that philosophers reading the literal level might say, well, this, this is not helpful at all. This is just kind of silly mumbo jumbo. But with a proper hermeneutic, scripture can tell us a lot. This provides us then with a much fuller understanding of God, of human beings, of Jesus Christ, the son of our spiritual destiny, you might say, and allows a better grasp on how human beings ought to live. Again, philosophy certainly has all sorts of useful things to say about the value of friendship and the need for virtue. Christianity, particularly through the scriptures, but also through Christian practice and the engagement of the human being with God, is going to provide an enhanced, a more purified, a further conception of how one ought to live. And a great example of this is provided in the discussion of the uh, importance of the life of St. Anthony and how that could draw people to monasticism. Monasticism is something that Greek philosophy did not produce, but which Christianity did. And it's not something radically antithetical to a philosophical way of life. In fact, later on, past Augustine's time, monasticism is going to be called the Christian philosophy in the early Middle Ages. And so there's a lot going on here in this interplay between philosophy and Christianity. Augustine is not just throwing philosophy away or saying that it's a ladder that you ascend and then get rid of. He's trying to integrate philosophy and Christianity into something where Christianity is providing the ultimate framework, but philosophy does have some place, some role to play, not for everybody, but certainly for a person like Augustine himself. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.